Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. I've been looking forward to this. I mean, it was right here. Right here. I, uh, I, uh, you're in trouble because I sometimes spit when I preach, but people tell me it's anointed. <laughs> so if you've never been baptized, just join the front row. I, uh, well, what's the last time I, 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 I mean, it's probably been two years, three years, it's almost four, four years, we'll yeah. be five years in October. Has it been that long? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Time flies when you're having fun, but it's exciting to see where you guys are and what's happening and your growth and what you've experienced. And I, I'm excited for you all. This is fantastic. Amen. This is really neat. I love your building. I like what the Lord's doing. And I get here and then he tells me, well, we're getting ready to knock out. We need to expand. We've got to buy more, chair, more chairs. And Yeah, that's, those are good problems. <laughs> those are the kind of problems you like to have. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. If you have your Bible, thank you for the water. If you have your Bible, Bible says if you give a prophet a glass of water, you get a reward. You've got to count for something for an evangelist, don't you think? <laughs> Open them with me to... Um, First uh, John four nineteen. First John four nineteen, and uh, very simple, very short verse. And as as your pastor told you, I've traveled around the world. I've I lived in Africa as a missionary for close to eighteen years and did large, major open air gospel crusades. We had crowds of fifty to hundred thousand every night. We saw God do amazing, incredible things. Blind eyes open up, cripples walk, and seen the dead raised. Just awesome, incredible things. And uh, I, I did that, and then moved back to the states in nineteen ninety nine. Started working with the underground church in Vietnam, and then eventually moved into Laos and. And uh, so I went from preaching to four, before 100,000 to sitting in a hotel room in Vietnam uh, with maybe 50 pastors scattered out all over the place and uh, just sharing and teaching and ministering to them and helping them understand the love of God, the grace of God, and what the gospel is all about. And uh, I, 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 my life has been very unique and it's been very much of an adventure. Um, I tell people all the time that... Uh, uh, um, Indiana Jones looks boring compared to what God's got me into. <laughs> I was last time I was in Laos, they arrested me for preaching the gospel. They took me off, stuck me in a jail. They're going to send me to this to the capital city and try me and all the, all this kind of stuff. And it's three o'clock in the morning. My cell opens up and quietly opens up, and it's the host pastors that um, I was with, and where we had where I got arrested. And the race, and it was really my fault, to be honest with you. The, the Spirit, God spoke me in the morning, told me to leave. But we, the night before, we had a, bl a woman who was blind. Uh, she was blind during the Vietnam War. We bombed a lot in Laos. We only admitted it recently. And uh, so she was uh, blind as a result of the Vietnam War and one of those bombs. And so she hated Americans. And one night in a, in a, a village meeting we had conducted, uh, the Lord opened her eyes, and she was Excited, the whole village knew that God had opened her eyes, and, and then uh, she found out I was the American preacher. And we just hugged and cried together and everything. And, and so I was excited about the next night because I knew once word got out, more and more people would come, but the Lord told me to go, and I just kind of overrode that. Anybody ever done that before? <laughs> So the police showed up and they arrested me and charged me for importing uh, foreign religion is all this stuff and they take me into the police station, lock me up and, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, geez, you know, I don't need this. 
You know, that's, I'm, that's, I'm not supposed to start a prison ministry. I know that. <laughs> and that's not how I want to start it, Jim, because you have to learn a whole new language. And uh, they don't have Rosetta Stone in Laos prisons. <laughs> so I thought to myself, and I'm, I'm just mad at myself. You ever give yourself a good cussing? Uh. <laughs> I've done it a number of times. I did it one time, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and just said, Son, just so you know, I'd never talk to you like that. <laughs> Think about it. Think about it. Because if you'll talk to yourself like that way, you'll talk to other people that way. Because you love yourself as you love your neighbor. Come on. So, so I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, I was thinking, oh, Ed, you should have left because my, oh, I was going to go back and my, my son graduates from high school and my oldest son graduated from college and I'm thinking I'm going to miss that, you know, in those events and everything. And also at three in the morning, the quietly opens, the door opens up and the pastor's there and they're telling me be quiet and they take me out. We walk down the hall, we come into the, the lobby area of the police station and the two police that arrested me, one's uh, sound asleep on his desk snoring up a storm. The other one's laying on a bench on his back. He's snoring up a storm and there are beer bottles everywhere. They obviously were having a celebration because they thought they're going to get a raise after catching an American. And so everybody was excited. I guess, you know, they had celebrated. So once we got out, I found out what happened. After they arrested me, all the pastors that got together and took up an offering and bought a case of beer. <laughs> And sent it to the police. Well, they knew these guys. They, they knew these guys were just going to drink themselves into oblivion, you know, and pass out. And then they would come in and take the keys off their belt and then get me out. And that's exactly... <laughs> and I, when they told me what they'd done, I said, thank God. I, I'm so happy that you guys are free and understand God's grace and love. Because if this happened in America, I'd still be in jail. <laughs> They never would have, I know too many American guys that would have just, well, I got this idea. Why don't we buy a case of beer? That's from the devil, brother. Just reject that. (laughs) (laughs) So hallelujah. So God's good, eh? And when I was in Africa, give you a little basis about the message I'm going to share with you and an understanding of it. The Lord spoke to my heart and said, son, I want you to study about my love. And I have to be totally honest with you. I failed third grade. And if you've ever failed, especially in elementary school, you know how cruel kids can be. You know, I'm doing repeating third grade. My friends are in fourth grade, and they're cruel and, and taunting me and calling me stupid and dumb. And I just felt embarrassed and humiliated and, and all of that. And when the Lord spoke to me and said, son, I want you to study about my love, I have to be honest with you, all those negative emotions came right back up into my heart. And I thought, Lord, I've gone to a great Bible school. I've, I've studied your word for years. I'm, I'm a crusade evangelist. I think I got a handle on John 3.16. I think I, I understand what John 3.16, you know, says and, and your love. And, and, you know, and, and, you know, all my friends, they're getting like really cool subjects. The anointing and prosperity and the miracles. And I got stuck with love. <laughs> Because I just thought, oh, you know, because whenever you teach on it, you know, and I, I begin to see this, whenever you begin to teach on it, well, I'm going to talk to you about the love of God. Everybody kind of, oh, and they're thinking, oh, I'm getting a beating this morning. Oh, he's going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. That's all the stuff I ain't doing, you know, and they're all going to feel guilty. Well, 1 Corinthians 13 isn't about you. It's about how God loves you. And if you read that chapter correctly, it's just, it defines what love is. And that's how God loves you 24-7. 
And when you understand how God loves you 24-7, you begin to experience it and walk in the reality of it, and then you live in the overflow of that towards everybody you come in contact with. Because you can't love until you've been loved. Amen? And, and that's why in 1 John 4, 16, it says, it says we, we know and believe the love that God hath to us. Not enough to just know about it. It won't change you just knowing about it. It changes you when you believe what you know about it. When you believe it, that's when it changes you. Amen. So, so God, so what happened to me is I, I finally, I'm old enough as you can tell. You know, some of you too are. Remember the old television show, Father Knows Best? Well, that's what I kind of said. I said, okay. Father, you know best. If you want me to study about your love, I'll study about your love. You have a reason for it. You want me to study it, and, and that's what I'm going to do. So I, I've always done things, you know, kind of in an in a, in efficient manner, you know. Um, and so I've got hundreds and hundreds of books in my library, like, like a lot of ministers do, and, and some that I've actually read. So I thought, <laughs> it's all about image. So... <laughs> When people come in for counseling, they look at all those books. Man, this guy's smart. <laughs> so I, I thought, let me see what other men of God have written on the subject of the love of God and, and glean and learn from them. And this was my first shock. I didn't have any books on the love of God. Now, why was that a shock? Well, in the love chapter, the last verse, 1 Corinthians 13, notice that Paul says, abide, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Abide, live, exist in. In the same way your, your, your physical body needs oxygen and water and food to exist, your spiritual man, your spiritual nature should be one we exist in faith, hope, and love. Abide, live, exist in faith, hope, and love. Whether you realize it or not, you create an environment that affects other people by what you believe about God in your heart. Have you ever walked into somebody's house like a married couple and they just had a knockdown, drag out fight? Now you weren't there for it, but you walked in the house and you felt the tension, did you not? You felt it. You knew, woo, strong words have been spoken here. I mean, you feel the tension. But the same way people come into your presence, there's something they connect with. Their spirit man connects with. Are you with me? I can't tell you how many times I've had workmen, plumbers, or UPS guys come into my house and stand in the foyer of our house and just stand there kind of dazed and say, it feels good. <laughs> this feels good. I, I can't explain it, but this really, what, what is it? What's well, the peace of God? It's the love of God. I mean, they, they, they feel that presence. That's the presence that abides in our home. Notice that the apostles oftentimes would talk about, you know, my, or Jesus would do, my peace will remain with you. Come on. It speaks about a peace and environment of peace and acceptance. See, we're spiritual by nature, whether we're born again or not, that's by choice. But we are a spirit and we live in a body. And, and, and we do pick up and we do sense things, whether, we, whether you're, you, you're intuitive to, to it or not, it does affect you. And so Paul says, faith, hope, and love. Abide faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. Well, why does he say love's greater than faith and hope? Because faith and hope by itself can't produce love, but love all by itself can produce faith and hope. Come on. That's right. Just think about it. When a couple comes together and they, and they declare their love for one another, 
when one of them says to the other, you know, I love you, and begins to, to, to tell the person what they're feeling in their heart, what, the, what they're saying is, I trust you. And trust is another word for faith. They're saying, I'm going to open my heart and make it vulnerable to you. And I, I believe you're not going to hurt me, take advantage, and misuse me. So love gives birth to faith. And then they think about a future together, family and home and all those things. And so love gives birth to hope. So that's why Paul says the greatest of these is love. Because faith and hope can't produce love. But love all by itself can produce faith and hope. I saw this a number of years ago when I lived in Africa. I'd finished up a, a meeting in Swaziland and a series of uh, conferences and crusades we did. I was flying back. It was early in the morning, 7, 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm an evangelist and <clears throat> we're not early morning people. <clears throat> I'm just telling you. We have, our hours are like vampires. <clears throat> the, the difference is, is one sucks your blood, the other washes you in it. You know? But I'm... I'm, I'm very much a late night person because most of the t- most of my meetings are done at night time, and then the counseling is done, at talking, ministering, everything. So, so you know, if I, when I go on the foreign field or crusades in Africa, or wherever, you know, if I get to bed by two o'clock, that's early. So, and that's just kind of always kind of been the way I am. So, you know, I'm trying to change that, but that's just how it is. So. <clears throat> I, I'm getting on this flight flying from Swaziland to Johannesburg. And I've got the aisle seat and the guy sitting next to me, he's got the, the next seat next to me. And it's only a 20-minute flight, just a short little flight. And I don't like to tell people that I'm a preacher, not because I'm ashamed of the gospel, but because of people's preconceived ideas about preachers and, and Christians, you know. And so you ever notice that they find out you're a believer, you know, if they say something wrong or a little curse word slips out or, or something, you know, they're, qu- oh, I'm sorry, didn't mean to offend you, didn't mean to offend you, w- which is sad because the Bible says love's not easily offended, but apparently most Christians are. <laughs> just shows us what we're not established in. Doesn't mean that we're not loved, it just means we're not established in the truth of it. All right? So... <clears throat> So, you know, I'm talking to this guy, you know, and I didn't know who he was. I later found out that he's a famous stand-up comedian in South Africa. He's been on television and movies. He's got DVDs and CDs and all that kind of stuff out. But I I don't know. I spent most of my time in the bush. And he was in Swaziland to do a a conference, a businessman's conference. He'd he'd been brought in as the entertainment. So we're sitting there talking, and, you know, then eventually he turns to me and says, well, who are you? What are you doing? What are you doing in this part of the world? And he could see I had an American accent. I wasn't from South Africa. And I couldn't lie. I had to tell him I was a missionary. I was a man of God. And I felt so sorry for him because it was the fastest attack of what I call spiritual arthritis I'd ever seen in my life. (laughs) He got stiff and and tense. And I felt so bad for him because he just ordered a beer from the stewardess. And it's like (laughs) 7 o'clock in the morning. And so... He starts blinking his eyes. I'm convinced he was sending Morse code messages to the stewardess. Don't bring me the beer. There's a preacher here. And I think she was having a fit and thought he needed it quick. And so she comes on down the aisle and hands it to me to give him. Well, I just take it and open it for him and hand it right to him. And he was stunned. I know he's stunned. And I know for a, mo- for a moment he thought I turned his beer into water. <coughs> But see, that's not the issue. Drinking a beer, seven, eight o'clock, that's not the issue. That's being a pretty good sinner if you ask me. And don't look at me like that. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You had warm beer and pizza as breakfast in the morning. 
Okay, there you go. So I began to share with him how much God loved him, how valuable and precious he was, and what God had done in my life, and, and that even though we were sinners and we were deserving of hell and judgment, this is what Jesus came to do, and it was a demonstration of God's love. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. His eyes misted up, a tear rolled down his cheek. He looked at me, he said, Ed, he says, I've met six born-again Christians in my lifetime. You're the first one that ever told me God loved me. Come on. Wow. See, this is one of the reasons why this message is so powerful on my heart. I shouldn't have been the first one. That's right. That's right. Do you, do you understand? Yes. I shouldn't have been the first one. That's right. And so um, I never saw that man. But a friend of mine in South Africa who heard me relate the story and, and share it, he knew who, I was, who the man was and was in a business meeting with the man a number of years later, and afterwards went up to him and said, do you ever remember meeting a preacher on a flight from Swaziland to Johannesburg? He stopped and he says, uh, meet him. He said, I'll never forget as long as I live. That man changed my life. Mm-hmm. Well, it wasn't me. It was Jesus. But listen to me. I didn't have time to teach him all the principles of faith. I didn't have time to teach him all the principles of hope. I had just a, he, a short little window of opportunity to help him understand stand that God loves him. And he believed that, and love produced faith and hope in his heart. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, 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 yes. Amen. 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 Now watch, watch this. In 1 John 4, 19, the verse of scripture I asked you to op- open to, if I didn't, that's where I wanted you to go to. 1 John 4, 19. John, who is nicknamed the apostle of love, you know, he, you know if you study John, and you look at John and Paul's writings, I see such harmony in what they say. But I, I see it... John, you know, it's the old story of, 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 you know, somebody describing a mountain. It all depends on what side of the mountain you're on. It's the same mountain. You're just seeing it from a different vantage point. And so Paul oftentimes talked about law and grace and, and warned believers don't get entangled with law and legalism. We, you know, he, he, he hammers it in Romans. He definitely hammers it in Galatians. And all of his epistles touch on it to, to some degree. Well, John does exactly the same thing, but he takes it from a different angle. He talks about love and fear. You see, law will produce fear. If you're living under law, it's going to produce fear. Am I right? You don't believe me. When you get out on the highway and you're just driving and enjoying yourself, having a wonderful time, and everything's going great, and it's sunny and beautiful, and you got got your favorite tunes playing, you know, and you're just having a great old time, and all of a sudden you see a state trooper hiding in the bushes. Well, what's your first reaction? Immediately you pull your foot off. Off exactly. You don't need, you might actually be doing the speed limit, but the minute you see the law, you feel guilty. Am I right? Am I right? Well, guess what happened to me this morning? He pulled me over, asked me for my driver's license and registration. He came back after doing his computer thing. He said, Reverend Elliot, he said, I see you, you were in Hiawassee. I said, yes, sir. He said, we've been keeping an eye on you. (laughs) Well, you never know with our government. (laughs) I said, you and everybody else, apparently. (laughs) He said, uh, he said, I just want you to know, I didn't pull you over because you broke any laws or speed limits. He said, I just pulled you over because you've been obeying the law. And the speed limit. 
He said, you've kept to the speed limit. You've used your indicator lights. You've obeyed all the law. He said, I'm not giving you a ticket. I'm going to give you a citation. You go to the courthouse. We're going to give you $500 for being a good driver. <laughs> you can't be that naive. You really can't be that naive. I, had, I thought Americans were smarter. In Nigeria, they fall for this every time. That ain't happening. That didn't happen. The law can't bless you. All the law can do is make you feel guilty. Amen? That's all it can do. <laughs> some, of you feel, some of you feel embarrassed. Oh, you were all happy for me. You thought, well, if you want to give me $500, the offering's coming up in a little bit. You can settle that. <laughs> Listen, the law, it, it can't reward you for your good behavior. All it can do is condemn you and judge you. That's all it can do. Did you get that? Yeah. And so, so that's why Paul deals with grace and the law and says, you know, you can't mix these things. If you do, you, you create a false gospel. You nullify grace. John takes it from this aspect of fear because law produces fear. And if you see God as a law God, then you'll live in fear. Are you with me so far? And he says, that's why he says in 1 John 4, the, ver, the verse above that, he says, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. Basically what he's saying is, if you're still living in fear of God, you don't know him yet. Now he's not saying you're not saved, he's just saying you don't know him yet. You know, the, in verse 7, verse 8, it's, he says, he that loves knows God, he that loves not doesn't, doesn't know God. Now I wasn't talking about them not being saved. A lot of people don't know God. You know, let me put it this way. There's a lot of people that are born, and it's obvious to the fact that they were born, they have a father. But they never, may not know that father, and they may never ever meet that father. But the, the, the truth is, they had a father. And there's a lot of people born again because they believe in Jesus, but they don't know their heavenly father. And the proof that you know your heavenly father is how you treat people. He that loves knows God. He that loves not doesn't know God. Not talking about them not being saved. It's talking about them, they just don't know God yet. And, and people that are baby Christians, just, I mean, you think about it just from the natural. A baby doesn't know who his parents are. But the parents are the ones loving that child. And eventually that child recognizes Who's loving him? Who, the sustenance and providing and care and protection and all of that and, and responds to that love. And eventually the child grows up and knows mom and daddy love me. At least in, in, in all things being equal, that's the way it's supposed to be. And so there's a lot of people that are born again. You know, they've put their faith in Jesus. They've heard, in a sense, the gospel, but they don't yet know God. And, and there could be a variety of reasons for that. Some people come from a religious background. I was raised Presbyterian my whole life. We were God's frozen chosen. <laughs> you under, if, you were, if you were Presbyterian, you understand that perfectly. And so, you know, I was told my whole life that I was the elect. You know, that I was the child of God. That I was saved. But you know what? I wasn't saved. I wasn't born again. Even though I, that's what they told me. And it created more of a mental ascent and a real kind of, in a sense, a passive faith. But I never was challenged with a message where the Holy Spirit could convict me in my heart of my unbelief. And that's what Jesus said in John 16, verse 8. He's talking about when I go away, the Holy Spirit's going to come, and, and he is going to convict the world or the sinner 
of their unbelief and, and just really of one sin. It's just one sin because your other, all the other sins have been forgiven and forgotten. So he's going to convict you of that one sin, uh, unbelief, and, and that unbelief keeps you from being righteous and, and, and being in the kingdom of God. Have you got, you with me so far? So see, I, I grew up, I didn't hear that kind of message. I was told I was, uh, I was already saved, that I was a child of God, that I was part of the elect. That's what I was told. But that's not who I was. It wasn't how I operated in life. I lived and operated just like a sinner, just like an unbeliever. But I had mental assent. I wasn't born again. I thought I was saved, but I wasn't saved. But I thought I was. See, Paul, when Paul ministered, you see this in the book of Acts, when he ministered, he, t- he never told unbelievers they were righteous. Even in his letters to the Corinthians, he told unbelievers, he told believers that unbelievers were unrighteous. He never told sinners they were saved. Amen? Never told them they were holy and blameless or anything like that. No, he preached a message whereby if they could believe it, they'd be made righteous. That's right. Amen? You know, you hear some Christians, I hear this on Facebook oftentimes, well, people just need to awake to righteousness. No, a dead man won't respond to an alarm clock. No. <laughs> he needs a resurrection. Yeah. You can, a, a dead man can't awake to something he's not. Mm-hmm. Amen? Now, a Christian, a believer, needs to awake to who they are and their true identity in Christ. Yeah. That, that has to happen. And there's a lot of, lot of believers that don't know they're righteous. They don't know who they are in Christ. And, and Paul had the same problem. That's why Paul said, awake to righteousness. But Paul didn't tell sinners to awake to righteousness. He told them a message they had to believe that would make them righteous. Come on. Does that make sense? Amen. And see, if you're not sensitive, you don't understand that, then you're going to send the wrong message to lost folk. And just like me, you're going to sit in a church and, and, and have a mental assent that you're a child of God, but in your life, you've had no resurrection power. You haven't, you haven't been born again. And, you know, if I had died, I'd have gone to hell. Amen? But my church told me I was, I was the elect. My church told me I was safe. Church told me I was safe and secure. But see, I never heard a message that convicted me with the Holy Spirit. See, we need to preach a message to people that allows the Holy Spirit to do something in their heart. Day of Pentecost, when Peter got up and preached on the day of Pentecost, notice it says that their hearts were pricked. See, oftentimes we preach messages, we, 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 wanna, we just kind of want to entertain the head, but we need to preach messages that go for the heart because it's, it's, not, it's not your head that saves you, it's what you believe in your heart that does. Right. Amen. 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 You know, David Wilkerson, <clears throat> if you ever saw the movie Cross and Switchblade or read the book, um, there's one powerful scene where Nikki Cruz you know, hits him and punches him and blood splurts out of his nose. I think his nose is broken. And, uh, and David wipes off the blood and Nikki has his switchblade out and says, I'm going to cut you in a thousand pieces. And David says, and every piece will cry out, Jesus loves you. And Nikki just ran out of the place and he couldn't sleep all night long. He was so tormented by the thought, who could love me? How could somebody love somebody like me? He was convicted of the fact that God loved him just the way he was. And then he got saved. He got saved as a result of that. Glory to God. And see, there are a lot of people out there 
they don't know that God loves them. And this is even true for believers. There's a lot of believers that, that are real insecure about whether or not God loves them. Just the way they are, not the way they think they need to be. And so, you know, they, 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 they live in this realm of insecurity or they, and they fall prey to a bunch of religious con men who will preach messages and tell them, well, if you do the X, Y, Z, then God will love you. And, and they're so desperate to feel and experience and know that God loves them, they fall for the trap every time. And all it does is just damage their heart, damage their heart, damage their heart. And some of them go into atheism. They just think, I've tried this. It just doesn't work. But notice John says here, he says, 1 John 4, 19, he says, he says, we love him. Talk about God because God loved us first. We love him. Why? Because God loved us first. Now, I want you to think with me. You know, the message of the gospel is not to tell people, well, you need to love God. Now, you'll hear that. A lot of people say that, especially driving up list, you know, Christian radio on Sunday morning. All these people need to do is love God. You just got to love God. Well, no, that's not the message of the gospel. Matter of fact, that's not even a condition for salvation. Come on. You don't have to love God to get saved. That's right. That's right. That's a shock. I know. That's, that's a, you don't have to love God to get saved. You just got to believe he loves you. You just got to believe he loves you. And just the way you are. Not the way you think you got to be. See, that's why a lot of people won't come to church. You invite them to church. No, nah, I'm not ready yet. Well, no, just come. No, 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 I'm not ready yet. And so you, if, you, if you kind of explore it with them, well, what do you mean? Now nah, my life's all messed up. I, you know, I, I will. When I clean myself up, I'll go. Thinking, you ain't never going to clean yourself up. And, and, and it doesn't matter how you think you've cleaned yourself up. You still ain't clean. That's right. I said, <laughs> this one guy told him, I said, you know, I don't care what kind of deodorant, what kind of soap, extra power, lava, you know, steel wool. I don't care what you use. I don't care how many layers of skin you rub off of yourself. You'll never be clean. Enough for God. I said, but there is something that will cleanse you. It's called the blood of Jesus. And boy, it'll cleanse you. And it'll make you white as snow. And it's free. And he does the cleansing. All he asks you to do is trust in him. But see, you'll get these people. Well, no, I'm not. You know, it's one guy told me one time when I lived in South Africa, we went to a church, and the church was about 5,000 members. The building sat 5,000. It was about 20,000, but the building sat 5,000. And he goes, no, if I, went to, if I came to church, he said, the roof would collapse. Because he, he was convinced God was out to get him and, and that if God saw him, that's the guy I'm after. <laughs> like God's got a, a, a hit list. I've been looking for that guy. And he's going to collapse the whole church, kill everybody in the church just to get to that guy. I said, you, I said, you are, you're awful vain. You really believe God's going to kill a whole church just to get to you? I said, I got news. He knows where you live. If he wanted to get you, you'd have been got a long time ago. That's right. He looked at me. You know, no one ever talked to him like that. But see, you have to cha- sometimes you have to challenge people. Well, why do you think that way? And how come you think that way? Because unfortunately, they've heard Christians tell them the wrong thing about who God is. That's why I love what you have on the door. God's not mad at you. But you know, most Christians think he is. Most sinners think he is. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, you just need to follow me around. I'm telling you, I'm going to send you my itinerary and you can follow me around because when I miss a point, you pick right up on it. I... <laughs> Now, this is fun this morning. <laughs> so we, we, the reason we love God is because we believe that he loves us. And that's what the Apostle John's writing. He said, we love God. But the, the, well, here's why we love God, because he first loved us. He loved us first. That's right. it's, I didn't have to do anything to get him to love me. Love isn't what God does. It's who he is. That's right. mm-hmm. Amen? My, my victory in life has nothing to do with the things that, you know, pushing all the right keys and all the right buttons and everything I do. The Bible says that we overcome. In 1 John 5, it says we overcome. Notice in chapter 4, he talks about love and being secure in love. Chapter 5, John talks about that we overcome in life, that our faith is what overcomes in this life. And Paul says our faith works by love. Not your love, but you believing that God loves you perfectly and completely just the way you are. Believing in the one that loves you is what gives you faith. If, if, if faith only worked based on my love, boy, I'm really out of luck. That's right. Amen? No, but my faith works based on understanding how much he loves me and how much he cares for me and that he loves me perfectly and completely just the way that I am, not the way that I think I need to be. But the beautiful thing about God's love is when you believe it, receive it, and experience it, it doesn't leave you the way it found you. That's right. It begins to change you. It begins to do something on the inside of you that is phenomenal. And, and, and that's why grace becomes effortless. It ends up being an effortless change. Why? Because you're in agreement with God that he loves you just the way you are. See, Paul tapped into this. That's why Paul says, you know, he, he talks when he writes to Timothy. He says, you know, Timothy, I was the worst of all sinners. You know, before that, the only reference we have to somebody that was the, really a bad sinner was Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Now Paul says, I'm the worst of all sinners. Well, why did he say that? Well, he said that because he came this close to wiping out the early church. I mean, he almost killed them all. He almost wiped them out. These were God's children, God's kids. And he said, I'm the worst of all sinners, but Jesus Christ saved me. He said, even though I was the worst. Now, I got, when I read that one day, I got thinking, the Holy Ghost began to show me some things and, and showed me that most of the, the, most of the Bible was written by murderers. Moses killed an Egyptian. (laughs) David killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. Paul as Saul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, killed Christians. Well, apparently God doesn't really have a problem using murderers. (laughs) But it's amazing how most people and most Christians feel disqualified because they had a divorce, they had an abortion, they had something that they, they think God, nobody else may know, God knows, and that way I can't really expect to experience the best that he has because this thing is between him and I. And what you don't know is he doesn't remember it. He's trying to get you to forget it too. I one time preached, preached in a little Pentecostal church in, uh, in the Western Cape in South Africa, and the pastor met me and he said to me, you know, I want you to meet this lady in our church. She's She's deeply spiritual. She's a prophetess. Uh, she just got off a 40-day fast. She can, just, she can look at you and just tell you what your sins are. <laughs> I'm not always known for my tact, you know? 
So I, I said, I said, well, she's not a god. And I mean, it's like I slapped him in the face with a wet paper towel, you know, or dish rag. And he looked at me and said, how, how dare you say that? And I said, well, I said, I, I, that ain't of God. If she can tell me what sins are. He said, and I said, let me explain something to you. My heavenly father has said in his word that he will not remember my sins and treat me with mercy. In the Old Testament, he even said he's going to take my sins as far as the east is to the west and throw them into a sea of forgetfulness. And if you ever find that place, there's a big sign that says no fishing. So, so I know my heavenly father didn't tell her what my sins are. That's right. And Jesus said, I only do what I see my father say and do. So I know Jesus didn't tell her what my sins are. And the Holy Ghost, I know he ain't a gossip. <laughs> and he didn't tell her what my sins are because he only does what he sees Jesus do and Jesus only does what the Father does. That's right. So that leaves one other person who could have told her what my sins are. Two if you're married, but my wife is very discreet. <laughs> and if she's listening to the accuser of the brethren... That doesn't make her spiritual. That makes her Pentecostal witch. Amen. Yep. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> we got a lot of them in church. And, 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 and because, just because she has supernatural information doesn't mean it came from God. That's right. Amen. And, and that, that woman had that whole church bound up in fear. Pastor was in fear. Well, they never invited me back. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen, God made a commitment to you. When at the cross, this has really happened before the cross, but in a sense at the cross, it was completed, it was finished. Under the old covenant, sins were covered. In the new covenant, they're taken away. And God committed at the cross to love you unconditionally regardless, apart from your performance. He also committed to never ever remember your sins. The gospel is not about your past. It's about your future and your present reality with him. Just think about this. The woman caught an act of adultery. Jesus said, go and sin no more. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about her past. It was about her future. The thief hanging on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. It wasn't about his past. It was about his future. The prodigal son. The father loved him and embraced him and brought him into a party. It wasn't about his past. It was about his future. See, the gospel is about your future. It's not about your past. Don't let your past hold you hostage to your future. Don't let the enemy... Use something from your past and your, your mistakes before you came to Christ and since you've come to Christ. That's right. Don't let any of that be used by the enemy and hold you hostage to the future that God has for you. And especially don't let the enemy use it to make you feel disqualified from experiencing the blessings that God has for you. That's right. 
This is true in healing. Oftentimes there are people, they, they, they'll get hands laid on them, they'll get prayed for, but secretly in their heart they feel disqualified because of something in their past. Now wait a second, if God doesn't remember it, then he can't hold it against you. Actually, Paul writes the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He says, to it that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not holding their sins against them. God's not holding. One of the people ask me, often ask me, they said, Ed, you, you've seen a lot of healings and miracles and, you know, blind eyes and dead people raised. You know, how, how you know, do you, they wonder if I have some kind of secret. I really don't. I just kind of believe that verse of scripture. If God isn't holding anything against them, then that means that there's nothing preventing them from experiencing his best. So that means I can pray in confidence when I pray for them. Now, if I can get them to believe that, then the Bible says if two of you agree on earth is touching anything, it'll be done for them by my Father which is in heaven. But healing's already been done, but we still have to agree. Yes. Amen? And you're not only, we're agreeing, we're agreeing that God did it. So, so you have to sometimes, in a sense, why Paul writes and he says to the church, he says, examine yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. You know, he's not saying examine yourself for sin, what he's saying is, is, you know, you need to just do a heart check here. Make sure that, that what you're believing, you have faith for. Come on. You have scripture for. That's right. You have truth for. Because that's what you're standing on. Make sure that's why you're there. Because you'd be surprised at how many of our beliefs that we have are not based on the finished work of the cross. They're kind of religious ideas that have floated around and somehow infected us and we didn't realize that, that they've, they've become issues in our life. But healing is just one. That's just one where, where you can feel disqualified. Prosperity is another one. Blessing. You know, a lot of these areas, people feel disqualified. They, they feel that something that's happened in their past or, or whatever it is they've done, and maybe nobody knows about but them and God. And, 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 so, and of course, I told you God doesn't because he forgave you. He, and he says, I don't remember it. So really, I think sometimes we just bother God. Because we feel so guilty and we're asking him to forgive us over and over the same thing. And he's trying to say, I don't even know what you're talking about. Because if he forgot it, he doesn't know what we're talking about. But we keep ourselves hostage to our past and we don't experience what he wants for us in the future. See, the same chapter, 1 John 4, it says that as he is, so are we in this world. He is Jesus. As Jesus is, so are we in this world. Well, how is he? He's righteous, holy, blameless, beloved, child of God. So are we in this world. Amen? See, if God were to judge you because of past sins or recent sins then, and, and deal with you harshly, then he owes Jesus an apology yes. because Jesus paid the price for those sins. Amen? And he, he paid the price for those sins. So, Again, that's a religious idea. Well, God's going to judge me. God's going to... No, 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 no. He judged Jesus, so would have to judge you. And besides that, if he were to make you pay for your sin, his only option is to kill you. Because the wages of sin is death. So, so, I mean, there's not a blue light special, Kmart special on sin. You know, well, I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that. No. If, if he were to judge you on your sin, his only option is to kill you. And the fact that he hasn't proves that he hasn't judged you. But he judged Jesus, and Jesus died in our stead so that he would have to. Amen? Now, let me just say this. <clears throat> People do, do dumb, stupid stuff. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap destruction. That's not the judgment of God. That's just living like a knucklehead. That's right. <laughs> Amen? 
I mean, that's just being foolish. I mean, I mean, we all had mamas that told us don't touch the hot burner, and some of us were knuckleheads, right? That's right. We just wanted to see how maybe maybe I can touch it for a little bit. I'm just going to show people I can touch it. I'm su- I just watched Superman. I'm going to touch it. I'm going to touch it. Ah! You get burned. And the mama comes in and knows I've got a knucklehead for a son. <laughs> now, now I, I could wear a band-aid on my finger, and, and n- the neighborhood doesn't say, oh, Mrs. Elliot is tormenting her little child. No. They just know that Mrs. they have pity on Mrs. Elliot because her son's a knucklehead. <laughs> you get what I'm trying to say? Yeah. See, religion will take stuff because you've, you've reaped stuff from sowing to the flesh and made dumb mistakes and try to say, well, God did this. And judge. The whole purpose is to keep you in fear of God. But see, John writes and he says, he that fears God, he doesn't know God is made perfect by his love. See, the word perfect is the same word that's used when it talks about the disciples were, were mending the nets. It means to make whole. And it's the love of God that makes you whole, makes you complete. Amen? You're not going to be whole in Christ. You're not going to be whole in God. You're not going to be a whole individual without taking the time to get your heart rooted and grounded and established in the love of God. In Ephesians 3, Paul t- writes, he tells the church in Ephesus, now get this, you'll love this. In, you know, he, he, let me give you a little background about Ephesus. Ephesus was a, a wicked, perverted, idol-worshiping city. The biggest form of worship at that time in Paul's day in Ephesus was the worship of, of, of a goddess named Diana. Diana, and, and, and they'd come and thousands of people would pack the temple and worship Diana. Well, you know how they worship Diana? They all took their clothes off and had sex with one another. That was the worship of Diana. Now, you know nobody was late for that service. <laughs> come on, honey, we don't just sit in the back with the ugly people. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on. You know, you know, if tithing got you a good seat, you know everybody paid their tithe, you know? Now, why do I bring that up? Well, see, Paul understands all these people have a background. They're all coming from a background that the enemy can use to condemn them and judge them and make them feel worthless. Are you with me? So now he writes them in in the third chapter. He says, now get grounded and rooted and established in the love of God. He goes on to tell them that if they'll do this, that they'll, they'll have the fullness of God in them and they'll know what the power of God is. See, the power of God flows when we understand the love of God. If we don't understand the love of God, the power of God won't flow. It's all connected there. Remember the leper that came to Jesus? I know you can heal me if you want to. And Jesus, it said Jesus moved with compassion. Well, what's compassion? Just making the love of God real. See, a lot of people, that's their view they have of God. Well, I know God, he, he can do anything if he wants to. Well, Jesus is trying to tell the leper, look, you don't understand how much he wants to. See, the law forbid anybody to touch a leper. What did Jesus do? Touch the leper. See, the law in that situation, see, you know, that leper was bound by his religious thinking. He, because he had heard that Jesus was healing through laying on the hands. And the law says, you can't touch me. And so that was his confusion. Same with Jairus. When Jairus' daughter died, they said, don't bother the teacher anymore. You're di-. And Jairus got into fear. Why? Because Jairus had heard that Jesus could heal the sick. He hadn't yet heard that he could raise the dead. That's why Jesus said to him, don't be afraid, only believe. In the Old Testament says, you know, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? Jesus is saying, look, I need your agreement here. 
You asked me to come and do something. I know it's gotten worse. Now, see, here's a lesson for all, all to learn. Sometimes when we're praying about stuff and believing and trusting God about stuff, it gets worse before it gets better. Now, I know some of you didn't want to hear that. Oh, I didn't need to hear that this morning. No, but don't forget the later part. It gets better. See, in Jairus' situation, it got worse. There you go. There's my footnote. So... All right, now what? So, so, and of course, Jairus had got back in agreement with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, I know the circumstances have changed since you first asked me. I know this whole thing has changed. But you just trust me and you'll see the end result. But don't quit on me. Don't quit on me. And of course, his daughter was raised from the dead. And the same way, the leper said, I know you can heal me if you want to, but I, you know... I just hear that here you heal through laying on hands and the law says you're not allowed to touch me. I, so I don't know how this is going to happen. I know you can do it if you want to, but I, I don't know how this is going to happen. And notice the Bible says immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and touched him. And the Bible says immediately leprosy departed. But it says he was moved with compassion. See, watch, when you know the love of God, see, this is where a lot of Christians have missed being led by the Spirit. Because they'll say, oh, I felt my heart go out to them. And I would say, you should have followed it. Come on. Amen. You know why? Because, watch, your heart's going out to that person. You don't know what the end result is. You don't have to know what the end result is. You just have to learn to follow your heart. That's right. But what happens is, if we don't know our God, then we turn that into pity. Ah, oh, shame. Oh, shame. As if nothing can be done. And so you abort a miracle. That's right. Instead of just saying, you know what, my heart's being, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know where this is going, but I'm going to follow my heart. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Are, are, do you see this? See, he's just looking for a vessel. Just a vessel. He just, I, I, need, I need a person so I can move through to tell him who I am. Just tell him. And he'll use any one of us to make ourselves available. And a couple of years ago, I was, I was uh, in public shopping for my wife because I'm a good husband. And, uh, and so I, I, I went and buy some groceries, you know, and, and I was buying some groceries and, 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 and just in line, checkout line. And the Spirit of God sp- spoke to me and says, I want you to buy the groceries for the woman behind you. Come on. So I, I turned around and there was a woman and she was, you know, probably late 20s. Um, holding a baby that's crying and wiggling and she had a groceries in her cart and but she had a hard look about her you know what i mean by that you know the bible says that the the, the that the uh, the ways of the transgressor are hard and you know you you can meet some people and you can see they got a hard look about them they look older than they really are yeah. i mean they just look they get messed up and stuff they shouldn't have gotten involved in and it's aged them and it's worn them down and broken them down they look well that's kind of how she looked so I told the cashier, leaned over, and I said, keep my credit card here. I said, I want to buy the groceries, this lady behind me. I don't want you to tell her. I said, just keep my card here, and when you finish ringing her up, I'm going to go over to this counter, just nod, and I'll come over and act like I forgot my card, and then I'll, I'll pay for it. She says, yeah, no problem, Mr. Elliot, and everything. So I went over to the other counter. I thought it was a good time to buy a lottery ticket. <laughs> Sinner. <laughs> got to win that right <laughs> and you're not in it you can't win it unless you're in it all right 
You know, and I, I, I know what to do with it. I know what to do with $340 million. I know what to do. You will never see me on lotteries biggest losers. There are countries for a million dollars. You can win the whole country to Christ. I know what to do with it. Amen. Preachers preaching against people getting a lottery. That's why them, them people that win it ain't going to give you the tithe. <laughs> I, you know, there's a lot of stupid people in the world. I know. <laughs> yeah. I cast a, so I cast the filthy right off of it, right? Give me that filthy looker. I know what to do with it. There you go. Even when I was a sinner, I wasn't that stupid. I got the wisdom of God now. Amen. You know, the Jews didn't have a problem taking all that gold from the Egyptians. And you know, they had gold idols. They had all kinds of gold stuff. You know, they took all that gold. They didn't say, well, it was filthy gold. It was Egyptian gold. No, they said, we'll take the gold. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this lady, the cashier, you know, nods and I come over and I say, hey, I think I left my credit card here. She's here. You did. And I kind of did my thing and I left. So I, I don't know if she told the uh, lady or what, but this woman you know, comes out trying to catch up with me and I'm trying to get to the car because the Lord didn't tell, say I had to talk to her. <laughs> and so I'm trying to get to the car and I hear, Sir, sir, sir. Well, she's getting pretty loud and there are people coming in the store and now, that, now it's kind of becoming an incident. So like some men are starting to move towards me like maybe I stole her purse or something, you know. Because <laughs> you never know in those situations, you know. And so I turn around, I said yes, and she pushes her card up. And she looks at me and she says, why, why'd, you, why'd you do that? And I know what to say. And, and all I could say was, God loves you. That's all, the only thing I knew how to say is, God loves you. And man, there were tears everywhere. I mean, everywhere. And then she started crying. And so... <laughs> I was glad because I was really embarrassed. But so, <laughs> and you know what her story was? She was a Christian. She's the daughter of a backslid. She's backslid. Her pastor, her father was a Baptist pastor. She got in a relationship and did some stuff she shouldn't be doing. She was out on parole for passing bad checks. And if she passed one more, she goes to jail for five years, and the state takes her kids. But she had no food. She had no money. Her kids were starving. She didn't know what else to do. She's that desperate. It only cost me like 126 bucks. She's she, that's exactly what she's doing. She's going to write another bad check pay, pay to feed her kids. I reached in my pocket, gave her all the cash I had, just loved on her. And see, listen to me. She said to me, she says, I didn't think God could love me anymore. Because of all the mistakes she made. She said, I didn't think God could love me anymore. And so all I did is $126, paid for her groceries. And then I told her, God loves you. So it, it proved to her God hadn't given up on her. God hadn't given up on her. God just connected her with somebody that knew he didn't give up on her. And see, that's why the Bible says we don't love in word only, but deed in action. You know, I got a lot of people say, hey, Brother Ed, we're behind you. I have to ask sometimes, how far? LAUGHTER 
See, if we're going to love people, we're going to love them, and we've got to be able to demonstrate it. It's not enough to tell them that God loves them. You've got to be able to back it up and demonstrate. Actually, the, the fact is, you know what? Jesus never told anybody that he loved them. Did you know that? Never told one single person, I love you. Never did. But they knew that he loved him. And when he prayed to his father in John 17, he said, Father, I have loved them. So he loved him in demonstration. Now, Peter might not have thought that when he healed his mother-in-law, but he loved him. <laughs> that was mean, wasn't it? <laughs> but, but he loved him. And so when we understand the love of God, we begin to experience it, walk in the reality of it. It's something that is demonstrated in our life that we begin to see and experience, but it's something that we have a desire to see demonstrated in the lives of other people. See, it's the goodness and kindness of God that brings a person to repentance. Repentance simply is a change of mind. But then God uses us to demonstrate that goodness and kindness to people to help change their mind that God really is a good God. And, and sometimes we have to be patient when we live this way because, because some folks, they've just been so beat up by religion they live under such depth of condemnation that, that it kind of takes repeated blows to get that wall down. That's right. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you got to hit it, hit it, and hit it, and hit it before you get a crack in it, and all of a sudden you begin to see a crack in them, that, that this is getting through to them, mm-hmm. only because of what they've gone through and what they've experienced. Luke 15, give you a quick example. We're going to close here. The story of... of, of a wonderful story. I mean, you've, it's a, one of my favorite stories. I preach on it all the time. But it's a story of the lost sheep, lost coin, and the prodigal son. And Jesus is sitting with a group of sinners and tax collectors. And, you know, I remember one time reading that, and I, it just hit me. Sinners and tax collectors. Well, it, you, know, you know, I thought, I thought to myself, well, you know, it's kind of redundant. I mean, everybody's a sinner, you know. I mean, I mean, but pick, I mean, nobody likes paying taxes. I understand nobody likes the IRS. I get that. But give them them their own separate category in the Bible? (laughs) I mean, really? You know? Uh, And it wasn't until I did a little bit of study on it, I began to realize why they were so hated. Because especially in the Jewish community, they were traitors to their own people. If you understand the Jewish community, very tight-knit community. Amongst themselves, and they're in business, amongst themselves, they do business at what's called cost plus 10%. Which means, you know, if I'm selling washing machines or whatever, I'll sell it to you at my cost plus 10%. Anything over 10% they can't do because the law calls it usury. And so, but, but, but that's still much cheaper than buying it at full retail. See, that's why the Jews believe God created Gentiles because somebody had to pay retail. <laughs> A rabbi told me that joke, so it's not racist, all right? <laughs> so when we, when, when we lived in South Africa... Our, our, there's a couple that were friends of ours, Anthony Haley Bortz, and they ran a photography shot. That's where I got my pictures developed. And my wife became good friends with Haley because they met her at a, at a Lamaze class. Our children, our firstborn children were born just weeks apart. And so we became friends with them. And, uh, and, um, and, uh, and, and that's how we got to know them. And watch this. So a few years later, our kids are a little bit older, and we've become pretty good friends with them. They've gotten to know us. We've gotten to know them. And uh, one day, Lori's at the photography shop picking up some pictures that we did, we'd taken from our recent outreach. Haley comes rushing in with Daniel, her little boy, and she says to Lori, can you watch him? I've got to go in the back and tell Anthony. I've got to take him to the doctor. Daniel's running a high fever. So sh- she runs off in the back to find Dan- uh, her husband, Anthony. Lori leans down, and she could see Daniel was 
tired and sick and weary his eyes. You know how kids look when they're sick. And so she touched him and felt the high fever. So she just laid her hands on him and rebuked the fever and, and prayed for Daniel. Well, when Lori got home, the phone's ringing and, and she picks it up. It's Haley. She says, what did you do to my kid? <laughs> and so, so Lori goes, what do you mean? She says, well, I got to the doctor's office and he didn't have a fever. And the doctor thinks I'm an overprotective Jewish mom. <laughs> she says, I am, but I don't want him to think that. <laughs> And she says, on the way home, Daniel kept saying, Lori did nice to me. Lori did nice to me. And so Lori said, well, when you went in the back and talked to Anthony, I just reached down and prayed for him. And she said, well, thank you very much. A couple weeks later, she called Lori. She says, I've got to go in the hospital to have my thyroid removed. It's not working. Would you pray for me? So she came over, and, and, and Lori said, now, Haley, I'm going to use the name of Jesus. I don't use that name to... Uh, um, make you feel bad or embarrass you or insult you. That's not my reason. I believe that I have a right to use that name. I believe it has authority and power. And that's why I'm using that name. And Haley says, you use whatever name you want. <laughs> so Lori laid hands, prayed for her, ministered to her. She went in the next day for the operation, they tested her thyroid, decided not to do the operation. Her thyroid's working perfectly. So they invited us over to their house for a Seder, which is the celebration of Passover. And uh, if you've never been to a Seder, you need to find some Jewish people get you invited because you just see Jesus all through that thing. It's filled with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is all over that thing. So, so when they met us at the door, they said this to us. They said, in our culture, when we invite you in to our home for a meal, it's an invitation to the friendship of the highest form. Now, you know why Jesus was sitting with sinners and tax collectors. He was bringing them into friendship. He's bringing them into friendship. And so, and as a result of that, whenever we needed to buy anything, because they were so well connected with the Jewish community, they said, whatever you need to buy, let us know. We'll get it for you at cost plus 10%. Well, when you're a missionary and you're on a tight budget, boy, that makes your money stretch. Talk about the blessing of Abraham. We got right in on it, the main vein, <laughs> you know, got right in on it. And so, I shared that with you just so you understand when Jesus was sitting as tax collector sinners, you see what his purpose was. Pharisees couldn't understand it because they had this view, be ye separate, come out from among them. And Jesus violated that and went right in among them. So the first story Jesus tells, and he's actually, think about this, the Pharisees are upset that he's with these people. So he's telling these three stories, not for the benefit of the sinners, even though they're going to benefit from it, but he's really telling these, these stories for the benefit of the Pharisees, the religion mindset. And, a sh- you know, a shepherd has 100 sheep. Well, you know, at the end of the day, he's counting the sheep because he's a good shepherd. You know, 97, 98, 99, whoa, whoa, I'm messing somebody. And he looks around and he recognizes Bob, the sheep's not there. And he asks where Bob is. And they go, Bob, we don't know. <laughs> so he has to go looking for the lost sheep. He finds the lost sheep. Now, he doesn't beat up the sheep and kick the sheep and, and say, you dumb, stupid sheep. He picks up the sheep, puts it on his shoulders and tells them to relax. I'll get you home. See, that's how you can tell Christians are confused when they say, well, I found the Lord. No, he wasn't lost. You just woke up to the fact that he's been after you. And you let him carry you because he's going to put you in a place of rest. Do you see? And so, so, but they didn't get that. After that wonderful sermon, oh, wow, now we understand. Thank you, Jesus. Now I understand why you were sinners and taxes. We get it. No, they didn't get it. So Jesus thought, ah, what will get these guys' attention? Ah, money. So he tells the story about the woman that has 10 coins and loses one. Now, a sheep is lost because of its nature. Now, I've been all over the world. I've been to circuses all over the world, in, in Europe, in Australia, in Africa, in America, Ringing Brothers. I've seen all kinds of acts, horse acts, bird acts, cats, 
seals, you name it. I've seen all kinds of acts, but I've never seen a sheep act. You know, you know why? Sheep are dumb. And you know God has a good sense of humor because guess what he calls us? They're good to eat and to wear. That's about it. All right? So, so some people are lost because of their nature. But a coin doesn't have a nature. It doesn't jump off the table and run down the road. For a coin to be lost, circumstances have to happen. And there are some people lost because of circumstances. Their parents died or they were molested or something tragic or horrible happened to them. And so they blame God for it. They want nothing to do. But notice this woman went to all the dark places. She searched all the dark places. You can find lost people in dark places. She went to the dark places. And when she found the coin, she rejoiced, told her neighbors, everybody rejoiced. And after both those stories, Jesus said, when one sinner repents, all heaven rejoices. Whether you realize it or not, when you gave your heart to the Lord, when you believed that he was good and he loved you and you accepted his free gift of righteousness, did you know at that very moment all heaven rejoiced? All heaven threw a party for you? Now imagine what's going to happen when you get there. Amen? If you know, I tell people, when I give altar calls, I tell people, I look at my watch, I say, man, I tell them the date and the time. I said, never forget this. And when you get to heaven, the first angel you see, ask him what he was doing. And, and if he says, oh, I don't know, you put him to the Lord for goofing off, or he missed a good party. <laughs> but most likely, they're going to say, oh, well, I'll never forget that. We shouted, we rejoiced, because you believed in what we've always known, that God is good. Isn't that wonderful? Well, see, now he gets to the, now he gets to the th- third story, and that's the prodigal son. The prodigal son sinned willfully. Sinned willfully. And the father ran out, hugged him, kissed him, and, and embraced him and loved him, you know, and then he pushes away. Now, some preachers have said, well, the prodigal repented. No, the prodigal didn't repent. That wasn't a repentance. That was an excuse of why you can't love me. He's telling his father, I sinned against the God we believe in, and I sinned against you. Well, he's telling his father, you can't love me. This isn't right. And the father embraces, hugs him again, kisses him, brings him into a party. You know what the father was doing by demonstration? Basically saying, this is not your decision to make. This is my decision. You don't tell me who I love and who I don't. You don't tell me who my son is and who my son isn't. That's my decision. And from the day you left, I have longed for this day for you to return. I have longed for this day. And embraced him and loved him and stunned him and and they're in this party and there's celebration. Everybody gets the day off and there's barbecue smelling and singing and dancing and he's got new clothes and a robe and it's celebration. Who was the most unhappy person there? No, the brother, no, it was a fatty calf. <laughs> the other brother wasn't there. Remember, he wouldn't join the party. He was mad at his dad because he didn't. See, both those boys were backslid. One sinned willfully. The other one was just was religious. And he said to his father, he said, said, you wouldn't even give me a goat to barbecue with my friends. But in the beginning of the story, the inheritance was divided. And the father reminded him that everything I had was yours. You could have whatever. But notice he said, but I kept your commandments. I kept all your laws. You never blessed me. You see, the devil always try to get you to work for stuff that's free. Because if you're working for stuff that's free, guess what? You're not receiving it. That's right. Because you're working for it. You're trying to earn it. You're trying to be good enough, trying to get holy enough so that you can get it. And you have a right to it, which means that you get the glory. He doesn't. It isn't about you. It's about him. That's what the father was saying to both his boys. This isn't about you. This is about me. The happiest person, the most joyous person, the most excited person in the party wasn't the prodigal son, was the father. Do you know how excited God gets when you believe how much he loves you and cares for you? How, how excited he gets when you receive all that he has for you? And, and you rejoice in it. Isn't that amazing? 
Hallelujah. Last thought. I know I said the other one is last thought, but I'm an evangelist. We lie. So, <laughs> let, me, let me draw a quick comparison. In the old covenant, you had to repent to get God to be good to you. In the new covenant, you repent because God's good to you. In the old covenant, you had to love God 24-7. In the new covenant, we discover God loves us 24-7. In the old covenant, obedience was required. In the new covenant, faith is required, which leads to obedience. Are you with me? See, the covenants are a total flip-flop. Absolute flip-flop. The old was about man's righteousness, which was the lack of. The new covenant is about God's righteousness, which is a gift of. If you take the old and the new and intertwine it, Paul says you have a false gospel. The law nullifies grace. doesn't work in you. And you create a perverted gospel. Well, see, that's what the enemy's done. For a lot of us, me too, me too. I preached a mixed message for years. Didn't, know, didn't realize it. That wasn't my heart and my intent. I just didn't know any better because we're all products of the environment we were raised in. But you know what? That's why God doesn't give up on you. That's why, because somewhere, not all of us are that stupid. We realize, you know, this ain't working. This ain't working. And I know it's supposed to work. God's word is supposed to work, but it's not working. I don't know why it's not working. And you find out it's not working because you polluted it. You know, if any, any, any of you a mechanic, you know if, if water gets into your fuel pipe, you, you just can't get that engine running smoothly. It just won't, won't run. Get the water out and pure gas, it'll go. Well, see, that's the same with God's grace. Don't mix it with law. Come on. Mix it with just grace. Yeah. Grace in abundance. Love and mercy. Amen. Has this helped you this morning? Yeah. Amen. Praise God.